Hi there, I'm Dennis and this is Shiv Valley, a show about Sheffield startups, where I talk with people involved with the local ecosystem, trying to increase the connectedness and to make everyone more aware of the great present and even better future of Sheffield startup scene. This podcast is supported by Sheffield Technology Parks, and along with Sheftech Parks, I organized the first post-pandemic startup meetup in Sheffield. It was last Tuesday on June 22nd. And while I don't like saying that a meetup has been a success or not, because I didn't really have a particular goal for it. According to the attendees, the event was successful and provided value to them, be it by meeting new people, building relevant network, or just enjoying a sunny afternoon talking about startups. What's even better is that I, I was asked already quite a lot about the next meetup, and it's great to see demand for more events, which will definitely come soon. On that note, I want to start this episode talking about a startup whose founders were at the meetup, Ejek. For those of you who haven't listened to my podcast with Maxim Sitch, one of the co-founders of Ejek, it is a quantum tech startup that is building a photonic platform for the quantum information era, which basically means that they're building the infrastructure for quantum technology. Ejek hit a significant milestone earlier this month, graduating from the Creative Destruction Lab Accelerator, which is one of the world's leading deep tech accelerators. And what is interesting about this accelerator is that it's a one, it's, it goes for one year and 18 ventures started it, but only 10 graduated it, as every two months, mentors choose a business to mentor, and if you're not selected, you're out. Ejix successfully graduated a program that puts them in an elite category among the world's leading quantum disruptors. But that is only the beginning. Ejix team is wasting no time, and they're now looking to expand their team, so if you're involved with quantum technologies and looking for a challenge, Ejix might be your best bet. The startup is moving to the center of Sheffield in Sheffield Technology Parks. I will leave their link in the show's notes if you want to take a look or apply for any of the openings. I can't stress enough how much Ejix success means for Sheffield, because it's a prime example of a deep tech startup smashing it on the world stage, just like Tutorful, for example, is smashing it in the edtech scene, Databoy is smashing it in the Legion scene, and many more. Hopefully, even more deep tech startups will follow suit, seeing that what Ejik is doing is possible from our city. So, congrats to Max, congrats to his co-founders and his team, and I'm sure that this is just the beginning for this brilliant business. The global story today is focused on the European Union and more particularly on the legislations and policies that the European Union introduces about startups and scale-up and the whole tech ecosystem. We all know that Europe is falling, falling behind the US and China when it comes to tech ecosystems. That is not a surprise and it has been going on for a while. All we need to do is just take a look at our phone and we can see that our phones are dominated by American and more and more by Chinese companies. Facebook, Apple, Google, Amazon, all these giants are American companies. And then we have TikTok, we have Tencent, we have Alibaba, Alipay, and the rest from, from, from China. And somewhere there in the middle, there are a couple of European companies that are making some noise. Klarna, for example, one of the last they did. Of course, we have, we have some giants, we have SAP, but, but as a whole, it's clearly obvious that Europe is falling behind the US and China. Now, there are a lot of reasons for that, and there's three particular reasons which I'm going to discuss now. One of them is cultural differences. Now, when it comes to cultural differences, in the US, the culture of entrepreneurship has been long-standing within, within, their, within their society and has been long-cherished. We're talking about companies that are willing to sacrifice any revenue in the first 
five to ten years even we're seeing it with uber now 13 years in the making uber still hasn't any any profit but the user base is there the product market fit is there and they're willing to sacrifice the revenue just because of that product market fit and user base because eventually they think or they know they're going to get revenue when you have the when you have the customer base in europe even when you're starting the numbers play a really big role and while i'm not saying that this shouldn't be the case it definitely plays a role because when you're not willing to take the risk there's a lot of companies that just cannot profit from the start for me the most obvious example is google google had a revolutionary product they didn't know how to monetize it imagine if the VC told Google in the beginning, well, I'm sorry, but you don't have any revenue. We don't see how you're going to monetize that, so we're not going to invest. The second reason is funding. So when it comes to funding, Europe is catching up. It's getting there in terms of size of investments and bigger rounds. But it's still the gap is very, very large between Europe and the US and China. And one of the biggest differences is in the investment strategy. Now in the US, you have more and more companies that are doing a series of rounds they're doing series a series b series c series d in china they repeat the model while in europe a lot of times you have funds that are doing just one round and that's it now when you want your company to gradually progress and make the jump to the next stage and then to the next stage and then to the next stage you need to keep pouring that money that's just how the game of startups is played and then the third reason is wide scale adoption now europe is fragmented there are a lot of countries, there are a lot of languages. You can create a great product and when you try to push it to new markets, you need to translate it into a new language. You need to make all these changes based on the country that you're going in. In the US, that's not a problem. In, the, in China, that's not a problem. The adoption is way, way easier. And when it comes to China, there's also one really big factor that's probably outweighs the American market as well. China is incredibly, incredibly open and willing to adopt new technology. There's not a better place in the world probably to start a tech business than Shenzhen because they're so open to innovation. My partner, she used to live in, in Shenzhen before and being here in Sheffield, she says that to this day, one of the most one of the most surprising things and one of the things that she's still not used to is how less technological everything is. So these three reasons definitely play a part, but one of the bigger parts and one of the more important reasons for Europe's if not stagnation, then at least not fast enough growth, is the legislation and the policies around startups. Now, in the last 10 years, there's been a lot of efforts to correct that. European leaders have, have come to the conclusion, finally, that startups can drive the economy forward, they can create a lot of new jobs, and they can create a lot of new products and innovations that can serve society. There's been numerous programs, among which are Europe's next Leaders, Startup and Scale Initiative, European Scale-Up Manifesto, Shaping Europe's Digital Future, and Not Optional. All programs that achieved nothing. The last one of these pro programs was called the Startup Nation Standard, introduced in March. And it was aiming at changing the laws around stock options for employees, startup visas, and the process of creating a new company. Basically, they wanted to ensure that in every country, startup founders can give stock options to employees that have that don't have voting rights to introduce startup visas to every country so our countries can attract the best talent in the world and then the process of creating a new company just make it as seamless as possible because when you're when you're trying to change the world when you're creating an innovative product the last thing you want to think about is 
piles of paperwork to form your company. 25 states immediately signed the project, 3 didn't, but 25 was, was more than enough and they were ready to introduce it and start working on it. But then nothing happened again and instead of that a new project was introduced and then another one was introduced and basically what's happening is that the project was delayed again, nothing was done upon it and now we're just sitting here waiting for another project to take form and to start shaping up. And in the meantime, the US and China, they keep progressing. European startups keep not having enough access to funding and the gap is only going to keep opening wider and wider if European leaders don't take very fast measures and don't accept that policy changes need to happen. Now we're going to move on to the main part of this episode, my conversation with Morgan Killick from Business Sheffield. Business Sheffield is the brand of the council's department that supports businesses from ideation phase to large enterprises for free. Morgan uncovers more about Business Sheffield's proposition and his experience in the tech sector pre-smartphones and social media make him a really interesting person to listen to. Enjoy our conversation. My guest on, on the podcast today is Morgan Killick, representing Business Sheffield. Hi, Morgan. How are you? Hi. Hi. I'm good. Thank you. Good. Enjoying the weather. Yes. Well, we all are. Let's hope that it's, uh, it, it keeps like this throughout the whole summer. Let's jump into the first question. As I always start with, uh, I want you to introduce yourself a little bit more. And what did you do prior to joining Business Sheffield? Sure. So I, I came up to Sheffield in 1996 as a postgraduate student and studied at the University of Sheffield for a while before leaving the university to set up my tech company, which I founded in 2002. This was an IT services company and I grew that for about 12, 13 years or so before selling my stake in that company to a management buyout. In fact, it was my very first employee who I recruited when he was about 17 or so that bought my bought my stake and, and took over the company uh, when he was about 30, 31-ish. And he still runs it to this day. Now, when I left the company, I, I dabbled in various different things. I had quite a bit of time on my hands. I, I tried my hand at a few different things and eventually kind of settled on this idea, really, that I really wanted to help um, the next generation of entrepreneurs with the benefit of my experience running and growing a business. And I started doing some mentoring actually before I left the company and gradually picked up pieces of work with the universities and eventually with Business Sheffield. And I so I now a, a tech scale-up advisor is my official title, Business Sheffield, which I a, a role that I do sort of one to two days a week. And I also do various other kind of forms of mentoring and business support with, with, with other bits of my time. And I can't help but ask you about founding a tech business in 2002. Now, this sounds so far away now, and it's literally like two decades away now. I can't, can't believe when I'm saying that. But how different was the landscape in the tech industry at the time? And what would you say were you know, two or three main differences that come to mind? Well, I mean, this is pre-smartphones. Yeah. So they just did not exist. A lot of our clients came to us, believe it or not, because they wanted this thing, this new thing called the internet installed in their business. That was the phrase that people people often mentioned, or they wanted it installed. And so, yeah, so, I mean, they, these were, these were, pre-e-commerce even amazon was was a, was a relatively small at the time they they were very early days of the internet sheffield had one huge internet business an isp called plusnet at the time which was independently owned by a sheffield entrepreneur and then apart from that just a handful of companies really uh, doing anything to do with it and tech a few software developers small 
companies in the main um, and a few technology companies. And in fact, I, I do distinctly remember one day, probably back in about 2004, 2005, where all jobs in, in the field were advertised in the star at the time. Uh, there was no online recruitment. Yeah. So if you had a job, you, you put your ad in the star, that's what you did. And there was one time where they were in the, in the tech jobs section there were only three adverts and one was my company, one was my mate's company and one was his mate's company. So that gives you an idea. At the time, there were really very few tech businesses around. Yeah, it's crazy because pre-smartphone era, that sounds that sounds so far away. And in the same time, 20 years is not that not that big of a not that big of a chunk of time. And when you think about even social media, you know, 2003 was when Facebook was created and MySpace and then probably about what 2000 and seven 2008 was when social media marketing came around and then how many companies now are involved only with social media marketing and how many jobs has that created just to be fair it kind of blows my mind when i think about how different things were only about 20 years ago yeah yeah same here it's, um, it moves so quickly so, yeah. so quickly let's get back to business sheffield then so I'm sure most of my listeners probably have heard or have been in touch or have used the services of Business Sheffield. But for those who haven't or for those who are not completely aware of what Business Sheffield is, can you describe it with a couple of words, a couple of sentences and tell us what are the ways that founders can utilize its resources? Sure. So Business Sheffield is, is the brand name, if you like, for Sheffield City Council's business support function. Um, this is specifically the local authority area of the city. Business Sheffield doesn't work across the city region, but we do work with partners across the city region. But my business Sheffield is the Sheffield bit yeah. of, of, of business support. And it's funded from rates, business rates and, and uh, you know, kind of our own money, if you like. In terms of what it does, it provides free business support to any business who's based in, in the Sheffield area. And that support comes from multiple different teams, but we have a, a selection of different things. We have one-to-one -one support, we have workshops, in fact, I'm about to you know, start a series of workshops at the end of June on, on helping new tech startups. It, we, we are the body that gives out some of the grants that have been going around. We do a lot of signposting work as well because the, the ecosystem of business support locally is, is, is just boomed in the last few years. There's a lot of support around. So part of what we do is really just help people make the most of the ecosystem and get support from other, other providers as well as us. Uh, so that's it in a nutshell, you know, what it is. And if, if somebody wants to use it, all they need to do is they go to welcome to sheffield.co.uk slash business or call 0114-224-5000. Also, you can email business sheffield at sheffield.gov.uk. So all, all businesses in, in Sheffield are, are welcome to, to draw on, on, that, on, the, on that service. And, and the specifics of, of what they can access will become yep. clear when they go through the gateway. And just to prove how, how really welcoming business Sheffield is with a, with a bit of a personal story, it was my first year in Sheffield as a student, which is now four years ago, and I was very passionate about an idea I came up with, but I didn't know what to do. So I looked online for resources, business Sheffield came up, and uh, I scheduled a meeting with Andy, what's his second name? Andy Bunn, probably, yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. And I'm going there as a first year I had no idea what I'm talking about. And Andy listened to me for 30, probably 40 minutes. Just now when I think back and see just the ludicrous things that maybe I've been talking about and he was still so patient and give me like a very, you know, very professional and very patient advice, I'd say. This is just my personal bit of history with my connection with Business Sheffield, just proving that no matter where you are on, on the stage of creating your business, you guys are really there 
to, to help people that already have businesses or want to build businesses. And that's in relation to my next question. Do you think there's a best stage for a business to be getting advice and to be getting the full advantage of business Sheffield's offering? Yeah, so we do a lot of work with with pre-starts, as you say. So that's sort of people who are thinking about setting up a business but aren't really quite sure how to get it underway. They do a lot of pre-start work. We also do um, work with companies that have that are what we call early stages, so in the first couple of years of trading. And that's where suddenly some of those things come out of the woodwork that you didn't anticipate. You know, you've, you you hit a, a problem or a barrier or perhaps there's even an opportunity. And you, how do you take advantage of it? If you don't know yourself, that's when you can come to Business Sheffield. But equally, we do also work with much more established businesses. Some of the ones that I work with are multi-million pound turnover and, and, and employing, you know, 40, 50, 60 people. There is a, a, some support for uh, all stages, really. My particular team, so there are multiple teams, my particular team is particularly interested in, in tech companies that are established and are looking for investment. Yep. Uh, so one of my kind of specialist skills is 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 helping uh, that company achieve external investment into into it to fuel its growth and you know any i would certainly encourage any tech companies out there that are looking for investment to 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 approach approach me and and you know contact business sheffield using the details that i've mentioned and ask if they could see tech scale up advisor right and Basically, this is what you do on a daily basis. You talk with businesses, you identify their problems, you try to help them to gain their investment or to solve any other problems that you have. Could you talk us through some trends that you've identified by supporting businesses in 2021? Yeah, so, well, it's been, you know, a very intense year for anybody in yeah. business support. When the lockdown first happened, I, I it seemed to me like I was going to completely run out of work because I couldn't meet anyone. And then suddenly this Zoom thing came about and uh, other other forms of uh, virtual communication are, are out there, but you know this this ability to to meet over Zoom, and suddenly this has really changed people's work patterns, and this has created in itself a huge opportunity, but also a challenge for a lot of businesses. And I think coming to terms with these changing work patterns and remote and flexible working has been a, a thing for some businesses, and I've done quite a bit of support around that. I think also just you know wider adoption of technology and technical solutions. We call it digital transformation. This is a thing that many companies are getting to grips with now as they are beginning to learn. They need to be more flexible, work more effectively, work more productively and embrace new technologies that allow them to perhaps pivot, do something different where they used to sell through established kind of distribution networks. Maybe they could have their own e-commerce store now. Uh, you know, somebody who might have operated a bakery that only sold to trade, perhaps they could be doing home deliveries, you know, that these kind of pivots are happening all the time. Yeah. And it's and it is technology that's driving that we meet regularly with a lot of established companies who who are really just opening their eyes to the to, to the potential of some of these technologies for the success of their business. Very interesting that you mentioned remote working, because I've seen a lot of uh, conversations on LinkedIn because obviously things have now started to open both here in the UK, in the US, many European countries, and a lot of people who've been working at home for a year are now are now pushed to go back to offices. And there's a lot of people pushing back. Do you think we're now seeing a movement where remote working will be the, will be the new normal, as we've been using this phrase a lot? Or do you think that in the next few months, things will go back to the old normal 
and remote working will stay out there as an option that is quite distant to the majority of the workforce? Well, I mean, it's a very interesting question. I can see it being a bit of a hybrid, but I mean, from in terms of the way I personally work, I've always had a mix of in-person and, and kind of home working. So for me, it's not that it been that big a change, but I already noticed that my de- I'm defaulting more to a virtual appointment rather than defaulting to let's go and meet in a cafe or at your work. So I'm still getting the default of, yeah. of, of virtual for sure. So I think some industries will have a preference for this this home and virtual working and, and some some roles yep. will be will will remain kind of considerably virtual and online but equally we know that home working doesn't work for everybody and it can be very demanding and, and very stressful in, in some types of industry and some types of job and, and it's right I think that employers really think about offering their staff a, a mix yeah. of the two a hybrid that works and that is the nice thing about putting in in place all of these systems that facilitate flexible home yeah. working because it isn't just a home working system it's a flex, flexible working system that means you can work from anywhere so if you prefer to have some some in the office and some at home that's still possible i yeah. think so that's ideal but we are of course talking about a layer of jobs that is 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 non non-physical and non-manual yes. if you're if yes. you're in manual physical jobs then you have to be where you have to be and there's, there's no there's no luxury of, of, of doing it from home absolutely no I, I guess this is where you know where it should start from the first question should be can this job be done from home uh, and if it's a, if you're doing everything from your laptop then i think yes and uh, this is where i think that i'm seeing a lot of pushback from tech companies which are not willing to let their employees work from home and i i personally don't understand that in the end of the day if your employees are getting their work and if they prefer to be working from home, there must be a reason for that. No one likes commute. But in the same time, probably the kind of saddest thing that I've read is that so many people are waiting to go back to the office because they can't stand their home situation is, is atrocious, which is, you know, this is a completely different conversation. But I think that you are, I think that you're right. Providing flexibility for your employees must be, must be the, the new normal, say this way. Right. So you mentioned that you work with tech scale-ups, businesses that are looking for investment. How do you classify Sheffield as a city for tech startups and scale-ups? Uh, what things are in place and what are areas that need to be improved? And would you say that the city has a unique selling point? That's a lot of questions at the same time, by the way. I just realized <laughs> that. No problem. Well, look, I mean, Sheffield is an excellent place for startups. We, we know this from independent research. That it, it has the fourth highest survival rate after, after five years in the country of all the cities in the country so it is a good place to start up it's also got some other cool things about starting up here relatively low accommodation costs we've got two universities we've got we've got quite a few and more are coming accelerators and accelerators are particularly in the tech sector you know one of the ways in which you can overcome some of the unique challenges to developing a tech product or solution by by bringing in a lot of expertise and support and sometimes investment in into those early stages we we are we we have several in the city and and more are coming so that is great from 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 a tech startup point of view the ecosystem as we refer to it's a bit of a technical term i suppose but what we mean by the ecosystem is there the business support isn't just business Sheffield it's also Sheffield City Region it's also Hallam University it's also University of Sheffield there's there are other players too uh, Sheffield Technology Parks for example Twinkle there there are there's a lot of uh, support out there for tech companies 
it, it, it's support that wasn't there a few years ago as well, to, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, back when I started up, if I said I was, you know, installing the internet in different companies' houses, it, premises, most business advisors were like, I don't really understand what the internet yeah. is. It, it'll never catch on. You know? <laughs> you know, but now it's really, really different because founders like me are, are around providers for the support ourselves. But yeah, you asked about USPs. Yeah. Um, I think EdTech is is certainly one of our USPs, education technology. And we're becoming, thanks to Twinkle's and others' efforts, an internationally recognized place for tech for, for ed tech and mm-hmm. um, we are good at sort of modern manufacturing and you know some yeah. of the tech that's around that and again we've got the amrc and some of the work it does lead in the field nationally mm-hmm. i think we're good for creative industries in the city yep. it's an unusual place sheffield in many in many ways and i think in some ways it inspires inspires people to think differently and think creatively and, and and try new stuff out. So those are our kind of sectors that we like and and and, and I think we do do well at. And I think health as well, health, you know, kind of health tech as well is, is, is a big thing for us. In terms of selling points, I think one of the biggest selling points is quality of life. You know, what it, a lot of these tech businesses can locate anywhere. So why not go somewhere that's got great countryside on the doorstep? Why not go somewhere that's got great social life, brilliant independent F&B businesses? Yep. Good healthcare, lots of opportunity, good support. And I, I think we're starting to see that now. Historically, we haven't competed well with London and Leeds and Manchester, but we are starting to catch up now. And you know, new initiatives are in are in place to attract more businesses to locate here as well as as well as grow our own native companies as well. Yeah. I could see for me personally, one of the areas that still needs to be improved, and I'm gonna ask you that one just in a second, is uh just the community. Uh, and that not so much about the people in the community, but the connectedness uh, and the openness to, to, to new idea, the openness to know that when you start something, you're going to have your early adopters in the city and you're sure that you're going to have a number of people here to try out mm. your service, to give you the appropriate feedback so you can then grow uh, to, mm. you know, to a more regional and then a national and then obviously, you know, world, worldwide stage. But 100% agree for EdTech. I've spoken with Natterhub and Air Supply on my my podcast i hope i'm not missing anyone else and then amrc the, the name speaks for itself so many businesses coming out of there now and it's i can really see digital manufacturing getting even bigger in sheffield however when it comes to areas of improvement what would you say mm. are the key areas that at the moment need to be improved yeah so i think we could be better at marketing ourselves and, and i think there's a there's there's a recognition amongst colleagues as well that that we need to get out there more and market the the um great tech businesses that we have in the city and i know colleagues in invest sheffield are on that agenda right now working on that we we don't tell our story very well if, if you go and look at some of the some of the kind of tech specific benchmarking places places like tech nation i'm thinking of mm-hmm. or you know lists of accelerators our stuff doesn't tend to make it on on today it's still happening but it just it's just not on there and so we don't really punch our weight in terms of external marketing so i think we can definitely do more on there as you said community connectedness now i think sheffield digital does a great job on on limited resources but it probably needs to be a bit a bit bigger and you know hopefully there's that there's something that might you know catalyze that to happen before too long we could be 
a bit more adventurous with early stage equity funding. And this is kind of a bit of a bugbear of mine, actually. There's plenty of debt funding out there. And uh, actually, there's plenty of wealthy people in and around the city. They don't tend to coalesce and invest in businesses uh, in, in the city, startups coming out of the city or even early stage early stages locating in the city. We don't have a particularly active tech angel network yeah. and other cities have got that yeah I, i'd like to see that I, I lack the resources to do much about it myself but uh, i'd certainly like you know for that to happen before too long because i think what you see in places like like london and manchester is is re- relatively young people yeah. who've already made quite a lot of money and are looking for the next big thing and and putting money in into promising looking startup teams yeah um, and we don't really get that so much here no not uh, at this stage uh, oh sorry go on no yeah i was just gonna say i think uh, yeah that's partly even just as simple as property if you happen to buy property in london 10 years ago and sold it relatively recently you've already made a lot of money yeah <laughs> and you've got money in your pocket to spend if, if, if you if, if you know a friend or a friend of a friend who's, who's working on some new kind of uh, tech business and they need 10 15 20 grand you actually relatively speaking that isn't maybe a huge amount of money for you but we don't sort of have that culture here so it, it would be nice to see something on on that on that front i think yeah and you're right because obviously 15 20k it's it, it's a lot of money but when we're talking about angel investors this is not that much for them and especially for a, for a starting tech business this could be a great uh, pre-seed round to take them off mm. to have, to help them to build uh, a really nice MVP, which they can then use to raise money from 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 VC, or you know from pro- platforms like like Crowdcube. Yeah, um, yeah. And talking about funding, there's a great transition to my next question. Obviously, funding can be left to grow organically with raising the quality of startups, with raising the quality of the ecosystem. But in the same time, there could be things that are driven by by the city via legislation and and different projects. What do you think is the best approach? Yeah. So I mean, I think. Uh, there's been a lot of grant funding around and there's there's been quite a lot of you know through the through the covid schemes a lot of loan funding around as well and if you if you look at things like you know the bounce back loan for example i, I know a couple of businesses that, that have used that to as their pre-seed round yeah. as you say and i've also seen people quite creatively use things like the kickstarter scheme to get a free short-term workforce to get an MVP going. The council doesn't have a lot of its own resources and kind of can't really make you know, laws relating to the city as such. But I think what resources we have, we've chosen really to to prioritize the provision of high quality free business support rather than just paying people willy-nilly to start yeah. businesses. And I think we do that because it builds a better business space and it shows in the survival rate. They are up there and, and, and very high. Also, there's a lot of kind of, you know, sort of funding and support programs from other provisions in the city that all that work in the city. The startup loan scheme, for example, up to 25k per director. These various accelerators included things like Twinkle, which will will make investments in your in your company if you if if they really like it, and lots of other kind of support initiatives. And I, and I think they are actually probably better use of the money than just giving it to businesses, in in some senses. Because how do you know which ones you're backing? <laughs> and it's it's better to give them the tools for to, to allow them to raise money from the private sector and and kind of other funding sources. Yeah. So just you know take a business that i that i support for example one i've got in my head at the moment that they raised 150,000 for their for their first first round and that is a business that didn't know really anything about equity investing or how to write a business plan and after a few sessions with me 
they've managed to get over the game line. And now we could never put in 150,000 of, of yeah. grant into that company. But by, by putting my time in, it's enabled them to raise far, far more. And uh, yeah, that's probably a, a sensible use of funds, I think. I agree with you. Yeah. In the end of the day, it's about utilizing the resources that we have available. There is a lot of available resources when it comes to, as you said, really high quality advice, high quality consulting. So it just should be utilized more. And then, as you said, businesses can go out there and get the uh, the funding from private entities when they are prepared with these really good business plans and with a really good financial models. So you just mentioned the business that you've been working at, and obviously it's very inspiring for the business to have raised 150K, but there was another inspiring story about a local business that you've helped and it's actually exceeded your expectations. Um, okay, so I mean, one one that springs to mind is is uh, a company that that um, I haven't done loads of support for personally, but I have done some support for. But it's a micro business. It's called Inner City Weddings and Events, and the it's it's led by a lady called Ellie, and you know her her what they do is a fantastic idea. Because what they do is they they try and bring weddings and events into kind of non traditional urban venues, as the name would suggest. So it allows those kind of venues that might be an old warehouse or an old historic building or whatever to gain an extra income stream. And that is crucial to their survival. But it also means that people who want to get married in is somewhere a bit different. They've got a a, genuine high quality option. That that business was completely just destroyed by COVID. It can't happen. Nothing can happen. No weddings and events. So, you know, kind of Ellie was unable to work on that business at all and was really worried it would never come back. I helped her uh, a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago, maybe get a little recovery grant, which helped pay for some more equipment and some IT stuff for her. And she's now back in business. Now, there was an announcement obviously yesterday that weddings could go ahead, but in a socially distanced way. I'm not entirely sure how that's affected her, but just the fact that she had the tenacity to carry on and not give up and come back and do more it was was really impressive because that was a pretty low point for her when her business effectively collapsed and so that so that's that's hopefully an inspiring story for everybody i definitely think it is because as you said uh, what, what we've seen throughout the pandemic when we came back home and we were working from zoom and so all these tech businesses they they thrived and all these uh tech platforms, uh, they, they did better than ever. But businesses like this one, I just don't want to think what was that person thinking in throughout this year, what they put themselves through. Because in the span of a year, your business is banned from operating. And a lot of people, of course, they only have their businesses. Yeah. And so that's, yeah. but great that great that she's back and hopefully she's ho- back and uh, yeah. and yeah and hopefully she i mean one of the other things that, that you, it's not just her her income it's also that she was employing people mm-hmm. and they then yeah. drift off and do something else because she yeah. can't offer them any more work so yeah. you know it, it, it was a, it was a real low point but she's bouncing back and I, and I think i think she'll do really well uh, when she gets on gets underway again and you know loads of back orders to fulfill 40 50 events or something to try and get yeah. done in the next few months and and you know it's onwards and upwards from now i think yeah, let's hope people start getting married a lot more. <laughs> yeah, quite. <laughs> Great. So, Morgan, do you want to move to the five questions that I ask all of my guests at the end of each episode? Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah, let's do that. So, the first one is about a book. What is one book or two books or 15 books? Well, maybe not 15. But uh, a book that you would recommend to every founder or future founder. Okay, so I would recommend uh, The Lean Startup uh, by Eric Rice. 
it's probably one that other guests might have mentioned. Probably nothing, no, no big surprises there. But for me, tech founders need to need to have need to have got their heads around. Um, yeah. Far too many people we we see on on the workshops, like the workshop series I'm doing later this month, will will come and and they are just overwhelmed by the size of their idea, and and are, and are stuck. Yeah, because it's just too big. And how do I do it? And, and when you say to them, actually, you don't need to do it all. You can do a small chunk of it and just test that out and see if people like that. And then you do a bit more. And when, when once people get that idea, it's something that there's a, there's a real kind of like, ah, sort of moment. That's how I start. And so, so that's why I, I, uh, I recommend that. Yep. No, great recommendation. We've had it a couple of times on the podcast for sure, but there's a reason for that. There's a yeah. reason for everyone recommending it because it is a must read for everyone that wants to start a tech venture. Now my second question is about a business idea. So you built your successful tech business back in 2002, but what's one business idea that you had but never decided to pursue? Yeah, so um, I was going to open a board games cafe. This is quite a few years ago now. I'm a great fan of board games. I call myself a board game geek proudly. And I just thought it was a, a, a fabulous business idea because you can make money as a cafe, but you can make even more if you can actually charge people to be there. So, you know, board games cafe was, was my business idea. And I had it quite worked out, business plan developed and everything. And people lined up to to work with me on it. But I, I pulled out of that in the end because I just realized it was going to be too much of an ask for me. I've got three young children and it was probably just too intense for me. Yeah. And then delighted to say that about sort of um, six months or so after I, I had the idea and somebody put me in touch with the Treehouse Board Games Cafe. Yeah. And I did a, a very small amount of work trying to help them get underway when they when they first launched. Yeah, um, and I think we're making certainly. I've not been in for a while, uh, obviously for obvious reasons. But when when last I saw them, they were they were doing very well. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think they're doing well as well. Like obviously, it's the same as you. I haven't been there lately, but the last time I was, it was the place was full. So much choice. I'm not the biggest board board game fan, but it's definitely a place I would go visit uh, once in a while. What I like about places like that is that if you want to build a board game cafe, just make it as make it the best board game cafe it could be. You know, just don't buy three games, and they have shelves and shelves with games, so that definitely helps them, and they're they're really good. Next question is about a place in Sheffield. What's one place in Sheffield that you think everyone should visit? Yeah, that was that was a tough one. That one, and um, especially because uh, I haven't really done much visiting <laughs> for the last year. But uh, so I'm going on kind of old old memories to an extent here. But I I I've really enjoyed my visit to the National Video Games Museum. I took my son, and we spent hours and hours there, played all of the games, and thought it was thought it was amazing. I love the concept. So the next question is always comes with a bit of a philosophical note. What advice would you give? Uh, to your 20-year-old self if you had 15 minutes with him? Yeah, well, that was quite easy because when I was 20, I was an undergrad. And so I would have just said, get out of bed and work harder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I spent a lot of time enjoying myself, as they say, as a, as a student. You know, did, did well, but probably could have done a little bit better if I'd have just tried a bit harder. So, yeah, that's what I would have said to my 20-year-old self. My, and I think my 20-year-old self would have not have listened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the last question is about a big, hairy and audacious goal. So what's your big, hairy and audacious goal for business Sheffield and the city's business climate as a whole? Yeah, so I, I didn't manage to necessarily settle on a really clear answer to this, but yep. I, I think I, I would love there to be an active tech investor network 
in the city. And I think that isn't that big a carry and audacious. It's probably, uh, you know, a few concerted effort meetings away. I'll put the link for Business Sheffield and I'll put the number in the episode notes just because I really want founders to utilize the resources that Business Sheffield provides. Because, like, let's face it, these services, most of the time people have to pay a lot of money to get to them and we get them for free right. in Sheffield. So thank you very much, Morgan, and I wish you have a good day. Pleasure. Thank you very much, Dennis. Nice to meet you. If you're running a business of any size in Sheffield, don't hesitate to reach out to Morgan and his colleagues when you need support. And if you're a startup looking to raise money, that time may be now. I hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something new. The next one will be released in two weeks' time on July 12th. So stay tuned, follow me on social media and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening. Enjoy your day.